94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. Lieutenant Governor of the state of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green, joining us this morning. Hello, sir. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Aloha. I appreciate you you having me here because things are getting better and it's nice to give good news sometimes right. rather than yeah. the darker news. Uh, yeah. Numbers have uh, lessened quite a bit. Um, we are, people are starting to feel that this is the end of things. Well, not maybe not the end of things, but it's it's getting closer to, uh, to being manageable. Uh, is that yeah. the sense that you're getting, sir? It is. That, that's absolutely the right way to think about things. It's not over and there are still about 20 people in the intensive care unit. So, you know, my heart's going out to them, right, as we think about this and speak. But it is very true that the case counts have dropped significantly. We are now uh, more than 70% off of our peak, which the peak active case count occurred on the 21st of January. So we're about, you know, getting towards about three weeks out from that peak. At that point, we had 58,500 active cases. As of yesterday morning, we had 17,100 active cases. Mm. And Omicron... Uh, is significantly less um, lethal overall. It's less severe, though still very problematic if you have a weak immune system or if you're much older. But definitely our hospitalization numbers have dropped. They are 50% off of the peak. Yesterday we were at um, between 191 and kind of 225 cases, depending if you count the incidental cases. And I can tell you I already see that we've dropped another it uh, looks like another 6% today in the hospital. So we're going to be down closer to 182 or so cases in the hospital today, which is a really steady decline. When we get under 100 consistently, that's when you'll see us drop a lot of extra uh, restrictions. And I think you're looking at restrictions dropping away, for the most part, towards the end of March. The governor will have to make that decision, but this this underscores your point, which is people should still be safe, they should be smart, but we're beginning to come to the end of the acute phase of this pandemic. And I'm just going to keep encouraging people to get boosters and stay up on things. But we should go into the summertime knowing that we can manage things, that we should not focus on restrictions. Instead, we should focus just on good health guidance. And that's what, when I'm more of a physician and less of a lieutenant governor, I like to do anyway. Just decent health guidance and making good decisions. And then we can go about our lives like we hopefully uh, did before with a little extra caution. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, we actually already got a question on Facebook from Heidi Pasco. She says, uh, how long will the mask mandate remain for indoor businesses? And would keeping indoor masking be a step to continue to protect our community? Uh, that's an excellent question. That will be the last thing to go, the last uh, restriction to go. And I think what will happen will be is that the guidance will be that people mm -hmm. wear masks if they're unvaccinated indoors. And I don't believe that it will remain as a full restriction or a rule, but that's up to the Department of Health and, and the governor. I think that we've gotten to the point where everyone has had the opportunity to get their vaccinations and boosters if they want, with, of course, the exception of very young people who are not fully approved yet. And they're not at business places. That's not the issue. So we can move to smart health guidance. But I think you'll see first safe travels restrictions and rules go away. I think that will probably happen uh, on or around uh, March 17th when we no longer have federal funds to support these programs. As long as the cases are low, that will be fine and safe. And then it will be up to people and their businesses, I think, um, to either encourage masks if they think there's any risk or ultimately, ultimately do away with them. I'm going to wear a mask if I think there's high risk for me or family members. But 
I'm boosted. I'm vaccinated. I've had COVID from early days in the pandemic. The same as uh, can be said of a lot of my family members. I think we can be smarter rather than having to be overly regulated once we get to spring. Okay. Uh, and with regard with regards to the uh, vaccination of children uh, ages two to four, I know that Pfizer is still uh, in the midst of trying to get approval for that. Um, yes. I mean, is it going to be like too little too late already by the time they allow this? Or is it something you're still going to recommend they, they go forward with? Because I know they're still waiting on some information uh, regarding children older than, I believe, four, right? Yes. There is a lot of information still to be had. Now, they diluted the vaccination down to three micrograms per shot, which is 90% less um, concentrated or 90% lower dose. Uh, it's probably going to be between six months and up to five. So that, that gap from six months old, remember, we give vaccinations to kids as early as two months old, but um, six months and up has always been a traditional uh, kind of safe space for kids to get vaccinations. We'll see. I think that probably only about 20% of families are going to choose to vaccinate their six-month-olds up to five-year-olds based on what I'm seeing in the 5 to 11 category. Uh, you know, we have Sam in our family who we love, and he's 11 years old. He got vaccinated right away, and we just personally believe in it, but there's a big difference between a 10-year-old and a 2-year-old. So uh, we'll see what the pediatricians say. Our, our pediatrician has been pretty um, savvy about giving us good advice. She said because of the diluted uh, concentration and dose of the of the vaccination, it's very safe, and she's you know she's been reviewing it, but seems positive about it. I would say this: it's not too late, uh, but children are in that age category are much less risk because first of all, their parents are likely protected because they're vaccinated, and though they may go to preschool, a lot of them don't at that early age, and so. It was really important to get kindergartners through fifth graders or sixth graders vaccinated because there was a lot of spread there. And I've seen a couple one and two year olds in the hospital to get tested with symptoms. And I've cared for them who have COVID in that age category, but none of them have been severely ill either, like really mild illness. So parents just wanted to get them checked and they did not like being swabbed, you know, <laughs> yeah. but we, and they, um, they were positive in a couple instances. But they were overall okay. None of them required oxygen therapy at all. They were just, they were manifesting kind of like a um, severe cold uh, complex of symptoms. So I don't think it's going to be that big a deal. And society has a ton of immunity now. Remember, we have, we have well over 80% of all people five years older, five years and older vaccinated. And 1.1 million of our citizens are fully vaccinated. So we're kind of well protected. That's why you're seeing these numbers finally drop off. Mm. Okay. Uh, once again, uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here, as he always does, uh, kind of giving us a COVID update, but we're also uh, just kind of talking about things in general. Um, you know, yes. one of the other things I wanted to uh, talk about was the um, uh, death rate that's been happening. It seems to be sort of holding steady. Uh, I know that um, once the surge had happened, that uh, everyone was saying, well, you know, the, the deaths start to go up after that period, but we've sort of been able to hold things steady. Is there something you want that you would attribute that to? Well, there's two things. And one is just the reality of when you've had cases, the hospitalizations occur eight to nine days after and the fatalities, when they occur, they tend to occur on day 20 and later when people have been severely ill in the intensive care unit and they finally just kind of give out. So when people pass away, it's usually uh, 20 days or more after the spike peak. 
So the peak of cases, as I mentioned to you, was on the 21st. So we're about 20 days out now. You would tend to see case uh, fatalities begin to drop off sometime soon. There is another phenomenon, though, and that is that there's just been so much infectious disease because of the pandemic. It's difficult for the coroners and those folks to finish all the paperwork quickly and to get all the assessments done and then tests have to come back. So there's always been somewhat of a delay. And I know that that's frustrating for people, but, you know, normally we're focusing all of our extra energy and attention on trying to keep people going and, and alive in the hospital. So sometimes those reports take a couple extra weeks. And that's why I believe the health department, when they give a cluster of, you know, it's, it's a bit shocking when we hear that six or eight or even 10 people passed away. It's often from five or six weeks before. And it's even longer when it's been the neighbor island report. So that's what we see. But people should be upbeat and optimistic that we've really fought hard as a community. And Hawaii has the second lowest fatality rate in the whole country, second only to Vermont. And we have the second lowest case count only to Maine. And that's because people were smart and they cared for each other and they got vaccinated. Uh, but that doesn't mean there weren't fatalities. We had over 1,200 lost uh, souls. Yeah. Oh, that's been really bad. Um, Lieutenant Governor, if I can uh, pivot a little bit, uh, wanted to get your take on what's been happening with regards to the legislature uh, since session started. Um, it's been about a month and a half now. So just curious if you had any uh, take on what's been going on. So are you referring to the... Um the scandals that some of them are dealing well, with? Well, I was, I was, I was going to maybe touch on that, but also um, just in, in general, what you're seeing coming down the, the pipe, the pike, uh, so to speak, um, uh, with regards to the legislature. Because, you know, they, they go into session and there's always all this talk right at the beginning of stuff that's going to happen. And then all the bills die. And then there's a few things that are sort of uh, still going along. Uh, and then we had the scandal that happened. So I was just curious to, to get your take about what's been going on. Sure, absolutely. So let me first speak about the positive, which is it came out of the gate and there was a lot of energy, and I think it's continuing, on increasing a, a real living wage, a true livable wage. And that's something that I'm very passionate about, and I think that they're going to pass that this year. So that's important for us. It's absolutely critical that we take care of our middle class and we make things better for our, our working people. So that's a big deal. And I think they will deliver on that this year. Uh, there's a lot of other legislation, including things that my team and I have uh, been fighting for, like Calhale. We believe that a Calhale bill will be expanded. Uh, it's also uh, important that we deal with the doctor shortage, which is another thing as far as loan repayment goes. It's very important. So we will deal with some of these large social problems. We'll make things a little bit more affordable for people, uh, and that's that's good news. Of course, it is horrible that uh, they went through, uh, and some of the some of the individuals did very bad things, and that causes uh, a lot of distrust, and it's just um, it's a distraction, frankly, from the important work that we have to do for people. Honestly, we really need leaders that we can trust who care about people. That's that's my mantra, and. Those are the people that will rise and will will work hard for, for all of us this year, next year, and going forward. There's also major legislation on Hawaiian homelands, which is going to be important. We have over 22,000 people that are on the wait list to get Hawaiian homelands homes and over 200,000 acres that have to be dispositioned. Uh, the speaker and others uh, suggest that we spend $600 million of the surplus, and there is a surplus on that. That has to happen. We have to finally get 
uh, some fairness into the system to get people houses. We need clean water. Hilo needs a new wastewater system. That's a big deal. They're working on that. And needless to say, we have to resolve the Red Hill issue. You know, in 2015, after we had the last bill, I, I was a senator then, I sponsored legislation to get that fuel above ground. And I, I think that you're probably even going to hear that the congressional delegation is now going to follow up on that recommendation that I made back in those days and recommend that we bring the fuel above ground. They may make some announcements even today, which they should. Uh, and I want to give extra credit to Senator Schatz, who got us $100 million almost single-handedly uh, to help um, bring that fuel above ground and get it out of the tanks. Yeah. So these are good things that are happening, but uh, let's not be distracted. The uh, Those who made terrible mistakes will be held to account, and we'll move forward as a state. But I'll tell you what, I'm much more worried about the impact of COVID than I am on about some of the personal mistakes that some individuals made. Mm, okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Heidi also wanted to follow up. Uh, you actually kind of already touched on it, the, the, the Red Hill tank situation, but also that there was yeah. a spill uh, from Cunningham Marine Corps base. Is that correct? It was a sewage spill is my understanding. Yeah. And when, when sewage spills, basically you get a lot of E. coli in the water, which is um, a nice way of saying poop water in the, you know, into, into public waters. And so people have to worry a little bit about getting, bacterial infections from that. And th this has always been a challenge. Sometimes it's more in the press than others, but when you get gray water or sewage water that, that you know, spills, uh, it is, um, it's a challenge, but this has been happening in Hilo too. And that, you know, is a real concern wherever we have dense populations and when we have, sometimes when we have storms, other times when just old infrastructure finally gives way, a problem and that's why it's good that we got the infrastructure legislation past the congressional level um i'm i want to give credit to president biden for that you know that was very yeah. important so all these things are key and hawaii needs to get share we have about one three hundredth of the population mm -hmm. the national population in hawaii uh, and we often have one three hundredth of the problems and they're big ones sometimes when they're in our backyard we're mm -hmm. certainly all very very aware when these things happen uh, there's discussion about uh, whether people can live on their boats in um, local communities. And there's, you know, we need to help everyone have safe uh, living circumstances. That's been a huge issue. If you ask me what the biggest issue in Hawaii is, it's affordable housing. If you really wanted to know the one, because that ends up affecting all of us. Mm -hmm. If housing's not affordable, our kids leave. If housing's not affordable, we don't have enough workers. If housing's not affordable, we see some people leaving. And it, it melds with these other problems. It drifts into the homeless crisis. It, it always touches cost of living. Um, but don't let people distract, uh, distract you from the key things. And Hawaii is better positioned to do many things than other states. We held COVID back better than any other state except for those two very northern small states. We have the best health outcomes in the country. And I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about we're the healthiest state every year, year over year over year. But we have some challenges, and, and housing tends to be the big one. Right. I know. And we keep seeing more buildings that are going up and we're not sure if there's going to be actual people living in them. <laughs> Makes you a little bit, uh, there's a definite imbalance. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we have to shift that focus. You know, really, one of the reasons that I'm continuing to serve is because there's been a very pretty big imbalance between very wealthy people who come from other places to Hawaii and just regular people who are trying to live. Mm -hmm. I mean, even I've been working two jobs for you know, for 21 years, I've been working two jobs at least, mm -hmm. sometimes three jobs as a 
legislator and a doctor. Um, and it's tough. It's really tough in Hawaii when you want to raise a family and you want to have just an okay house. I don't live in a fancy house. Believe me, I live in a medium sized condo. And I know a lot of people have it even much harder than my family. I would never, ever complain, but it's really difficult. And so this idea of always having to work two jobs and a person and their significant other having to also do that, that's just no good. So we got to bring down the cost of living. There are some ways to do it. We should get rid of the tax on food and medicine right away. That saves a ton of resource for every family. And yes, we'd have less tax revenue for certain stuff, but we'd be giving a lot of money back to the, you know, the working people. So these are the things we can do. And, you know, I, I have to say, after a bunch of years, I feel finally that I've got a good grasp on these issues, and so do a lot of other people. And we just have to have the political will to do it. Um, once again, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here. Lieutenant Governor, how about we uh, have you put on your doctor hat for a little bit? Sure. Uh, yes. And just ask you, what have you been seeing in the ER with regards to this? I mean, we know the numbers are dropping. We know that the uh, um, the cases of intensive care for COVID have been dropping. Uh, but what are you seeing when you do your shifts? I'm seeing uh, very little COVID now in the rural communities. I've seen much less. That's great. I've seen a, a small, it's, it's really good. And, and I've seen probably about a third as many people going to the intensive care unit or be on ventilators as we were seeing at the, you know, at the times where we were having spikes of Delta and, mm -hmm. and early Omicron. So way less. I am seeing a lot of people begin to uh, emerge from their cocoons and they're a little rattled. I've seen a fair amount of anxiety. I've seen people with depression and I've seen some difficulty uh, with violence. There's been some of that because mm -hmm. I think that conflicts have arisen based on severe stresses. And so I, I would say that we're seeing more of the behavioral health challenges, the mental illness, uh, more addiction. And that's why we need to really get our Hawaii state hospital up and humming. Now that it's finished, we need to get more resources psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers. That has to happen in the coming months and years. And we will rebuild our psyche as we go forward. That's really what's going to be happening. COVID will finally uh, go into the background. But society has gone through a lot. So if I may, people should uh, look into their hearts and support groups that take care of people. I don't know whether it's, you know, you know nonprofits that just are very caring, the ones that take care of the homeless, the ones that take care of people who are indigent, you know, the historic ones, you know, always like United Way and those kind of groups. Uh, find a way if you've done okay and you've survived this to help those groups because they're going to be doing a lot of rebuilding uh, for for all of us. The, um, the blood bank is way low on blood, so mm -hmm. I've been going really frequently, actually too frequently probably. I got, you know, wondering when I'm going to start getting dizzy from all that. And so <laughs> they, you know, they need help because a lot of people didn't go in during COVID. And, and I think it's because we were all hurting. There were more families that were living near the edge. But as we get our economic footing back again, know that it's going to take, just like um, sometimes the cases lag and the hospitalizations lag behind COVID, the, the recovery from the mental health care concerns are going to lag after COVID is gone completely. And we'll be looking to help families that couldn't take care of their children adequately. Uh, there are more foster children needs than ever before. There's all these big problems that that's where I think our focus as as Nohana is going to go. You know, um, interesting. You should note the the mental health aspect of it. Uh, do you feel like there's enough support for people if they need to get that? If they need to go see somebody to talk to them about uh, their mental health and where they're at? Uh, I mean, are we adequately covered by 
federal stuff or um, are they going to have to use their, you know, their own personal uh, health care, I guess, uh, coverage? That's a really good question. Uh, A couple of things. First of all, we had to expand our Medicaid program by about 100,000 people. Uh, About 100,000 additional citizens needed support for their health care, which we were honored to do. And, And I'm very grateful to Gay and others to expand that. Uh, Kathy Betts and her department, Human Services, they did a very good job getting people who were desperate or struggling um, economically help. But we don't have enough health care providers for mental health care. It's always been one of the um, underfunded areas of health care. So social workers don't get paid a lot and they do very hard work. Psychologists and psychiatrists are short in number. Uh, we're talking about doing a lot more telehealth and telepsychiatry. That's a good thing. We've always undervalued uh, drug addiction. So people, you know, the, the kind of people that are stars in my book are like Tina Malka and those guys that go and, and help people with addiction and mental illness. Mm-hmm. They're just wonderful. It's why we started the H4 to provide some extra services and why the community health centers need our support. They always have some extra support for those who are in need. We need to get them more psychologists and psychiatrists and social workers, too. So that's going to be a big rebuild because people were very focused on hospital care, infectious disease, and those kind of fancy things, which is good during the pandemic. But now we're going to get back into the trenches. And a lot of people needed things. It used to be about 10% of individuals had addiction issues, and maybe as many as 20 to 5 to 30% of people might at some point in their life have uh, depression or, or other mental illness issues. Mm-hmm. Those numbers have gone way up. So we're going to have to come down off of that. And we will. We will when we restore a fair amount of confidence in in society. Uh, But it's going to take time. People have to rebound. But when um, when it's your mood and your spirit, it takes a longer time to rebuild. So that's what I'm going to be focused on these next few years. That's awesome. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, uh, just sorry, not to talk about this way too much, but... um, (laughs) If someone is, is struggling a little bit, is there a recommendation that you give them? I mean, do they just reach out to somebody? Do they talk to their doctor and then go and see somebody? What is probably the best way to do that? There's lots of ways. They can call 211 and get support. They can always, if they ever feel that they're in desperate need of immediate attention, if they might hurt themselves, they call 911, just like any other emergency. Uh, if you are feeling down, if you're sensing that you've been depressed for a long time, a lot of people haven't seen their primary care provider for a year or two because they're reluctant to go in and get health care because of COVID, this is the time to reach out again and to get a referral and see a counselor or a psychologist. Uh, I want to give extra credit to marriage and family uh, therapists. They've been expanding their role in society and do great work and the social workers. Uh, but yes, if, if you have to, of course, your health care coverage will cover you to see a counselor or even someone that has uh, more capacity to treat you, but don't hesitate. And Reach out to other organizations that are there for support because a lot of things are going to be rebuilt. A lot of the federal grants that are out available, we've been encouraging that industry, the behavioral health, mental health industry, to fight for some dollars. And we're supporting them personally. At least my team is. So this is the time. Come out of your, you know, come out of your cocoons and, you know, people want to see butterflies again. And it's tough when you've gone through COVID and you've been locked down or even asked to wear a mask for another month or two. I think there's going to be a lot of healing that goes on in the spring because we will emerge from COVID and it's just going to be a relief for goodness sakes, a big relief, but some things are serious and they're clinical. And this is me speaking as a physician. 
don't take depression lightly. I, I lost a cousin and an uncle uh, to suicide over the years, and both were wonderful people, and both suffered severe and persistent mental illness and, and depression. And even though I'm a physician and we had a very supportive family, we didn't know those tragedies were coming. So uh, reach out to people, but be encouraged that our spirits are going to lift when the spring comes and COVID recedes. A lot of people are going to be feeling a lot better. Okay. Awesome. Uh, <clears throat> Lieutenant Governor, anything in closing you wanted to mention? Well, I just do want to thank everybody. You know, people have been so kind to me and my family. Uh, it's been a, a rough go for all of us in the state, but just thank you so much, everyone, for sticking with this and for this, the sacrifices each of us have made, small or large, whether it's wearing a mask and caring for your neighbor, helping them with groceries, or a medic who went on another 24-hour shift and then washed their ambulance rig down every time after picking somebody up so they wouldn't spread COVID, people going back to work, teachers, everybody. It's been something to behold. Uh, and so I'm appreciative of everybody. And I'm also, on this day, additionally appreciative. You guys have been so kind to wish me um, a happy birthday. And I, I got to tell you, it's really nice of you. It's, uh, it's thoughtful of people. And we've really formed a bond, Jamie and I have, with the state of Hawaii and all of, not just our neighbors, but everyone. Uh, during this pandemic. So we're going to merge together. I'm really honored to have been a part of that with you. All right, cool. Well, uh, enjoy your birthday yeah. today, yeah. sort of, kind of. Yeah. You to spend it with yeah. us at 7 o'clock in the morning. But uh, <laughs> Enjoy the whole weekend. <laughs> yeah, enjoy the, enjoy the whole weekend. And uh, thank you so much again for calling. We really appreciate it. You bet. You guys are great. Take care.